Chapter thirty of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee, Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three, by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter thirty. London, April to September, eighteen twenty two, revised in February, eighteen forty five. English literature. Decay of the old school historians poets civilians shakespeare my studies carried on in reference to the genie du christianisme had by degrees as i have already said led me to a closer investigation of english literature when i took refuge in england in seventeen ninety three i found that i must change most of the judgments i had drawn from critiques among the historians hume bore the reputation of a tory and retrograde author he as well as gibbon was accused of having crowded the english language with gallicisms smollett who continued his history was a greater favourite gibbon a philosopher during his life become a christian at his death remained as such impeached and convicted of being a poor man robertson was still spoken of because he was dry as regarded the poets the elegant extract served as an exile for some pieces of dryden pope's rhymes found no pardon although people visited his house at twickenham and cut pieces from the weeping willow planted by his hand and withered as his fame blair was looked upon as a tiresome critic a la francaise he ranked much below johnson as to the old spectator he was laid on the shelf the english works on politics have little interest for us those on political economy are less circumscribed the calculations on the wealth of nations the employment of capital and the balance of trade are in some degree of european application burke sprang from the national political individuality in declaring himself an opponent of the french revolution he drew his country into that long career of hostilities which ended on the field of waterloo still some majestic figures remained everywhere one met with milton and shakespeare did montmorency biron Sui, successively ambassadors from france at the courts of elizabeth and james i ever hear of a strolling player acting in his own farces and in those of others did they ever pronounce the name so barbarous in french of shakespeare did they suspect that there was in this name a glory before which their honours their pomp and their rank would sink into insignificance the actor playing the ghost in hamlet was the great phantom the shade of the middle ages rising above the world like the star of night at the moment when those middle ages had nearly disappeared among the dead stupendous centuries opened by dante and closed by shakespeare in his memorials of english affairs whitelock who was a contemporary of the author of paradise lost speaks of him as a certain blind man called milton latin secretary to the council of state moliere the buffoon played his own poursonia and shakespeare the mountebank made grimaces in his own falstaff these disguised travellers who come from time to time to sit down at our table are treated like common guests we remain ignorant of their nature till the time of their disappearance as they leave this world they are transformed and say to us as the angels said to tobit i am one of the seven spirits who stand continually in the presence of the lord but if they are mistaken by men in their passage these divinities never mistake one another milton felt sure that sweetest shakespeare fancy's child had no need of monuments in marble and brass to consecrate his venerated bones michelangelo envying the lot and genius of dante exclaims pour tal per l'aspro esilio suo conserva tutte dare del mondo più felice stato would i had been such as he i would have given all the happiness of the world for his bitter exile together with his genius tasso celebrated camoens when he was still almost unknown 
and contributed to his renown. There is nothing more worthy of admiration than this society of illustrious equals, mutually revealing themselves by the signs of their genius, addressing themselves to and conversing with one another in a language understood by themselves alone. Was Shakespeare lame, like Lord Byron, Walter Scott, and the prayers, prières, the daughters of Jupiter? If it were so in reality, the boy of Stratford, far from being ashamed of his infirmity, like the author of Child Harold, never hesitated to recall it to the mind of one of his mistresses, lame by fortune's dearest spite. Shakespeare must have had many love affairs, if we may reckon one for every sonnet. The creating genius of Desdemone and Juliet must have grown old without any cessation of his attachments. Were the unknown women to whom he addressed his immortal verses proud and happy at being the objects of the poet's sonnets? It may be doubted. Glory is to an old man what diamonds are to an old woman. They adorn, but cannot embellish her. The great dramatist wrote to his mistress in the following strain, No longer mourn for me when I am dead. Then you shall hear the surly, sullen bell give warning to the world that I am fled from this vile world with vilest worms to dwell. Nay, if you read this line, remember not the hand that writ it, for I love you so that I in your sweet thoughts would be forgot if thinking on me then should make you woe. Oh, if, I say, you look upon this verse, when I perhaps compounded am with clay, do not so much as my poor name rehearse, but let your love ever with my life decay. Shakespeare loved, but he believed no more in love than he did in any other thing. A woman in his eyes was like a bird, a breath of wind, a flower, something which delights and fleets away. From indifference to or ignorance of his fame, from his station, which kept him apart from society, or placed him beyond the reach of obtaining it, he seemed to regard life as a lightsome leisure hour, as a brief period of sweet enjoyment. In his youth Shakespeare met with some old monks, driven out of their convents, who had seen Henry the Eighth, his reforms, destruction of monasteries, his court fools, his wives, mistresses, and executioners. When the poet died, Charles I was sixteen years old. Thus, with one hand, Shakespeare had been able to touch the hoary heads that had been threatened by the sword of the last but one of the Tudors, and with the other the brown locks of the second of the Stuarts, which the axe of the parliamentarians was destined to bring to the dust. Resting upon these tragic supporters, the great tragedian went down to the tomb. He filled the interval of the days in which he lived, with his spectres, his blind kings, the punishment of ambitious aspirers, and women in misfortune in order by analogous fictions, to connect the realities of the past with the realities of the future. Shakespeare is one of five or six writers who satisfy all the wants of the mind, and furnish aliment to thought. These maternal geniuses seem to have brought forth and reared all the others. Homer impregnated antiquity, Aeschylus, Sophocles, Euripides, Aristophanes, Horace, and Virgil are his sons. Dante was the parent of modern Italy, from Petrarch to Tasso. Rabelais was the creator of French literature, Montaigne, La Fontaine, and Moliere were his descendants. England is all Shakespeare, and even down to the latest times, he has lent his language to Byron and his dialogue to Walter Scott. The claims of these supreme masters are often denied. Men are guilty of rebellion against them. Their defects are reckoned up, they are accused of ennui, tediousness, extravagance, and bad taste, even while men are engaged in plundering them and adorning themselves with their spoils. Everything springs from them. Their impress is everywhere to be seen. They invent words and names which go to swell the general vocabulary of the people. 
their expressions become proverbs their fictitious personages are formed into real ones who have airs and lineage they open up horizons from whence issue forth pencils of light they sow ideas which are the germs of thousands of others they furnish conceptions subjects and styles to all the arts their works are the minds or the exhaustless treasures of the human mind such geniuses occupy the first rank their immensity their variety their fertility their originality cause them from the first to be regarded as laws examples moulds types of different intelligences as there are four or five races of men from the same stock of which the rest are merely branches let us beware of insulting the irregularities into which these powerful beings sometimes fall let us not bring upon ourselves the curse of ham let us not laugh should we find the sole and solitary mariner of the deep naked and asleep under the shade of the stranded ark on the mountains of armenia let us respect this diluvian navigator who bore the seeds of a new creation after the cataracts of heaven were exhausted pious children blessed by our father let us cover him modestly with our mantle shakespeare while living never thought of living after his life what are my songs of admiration to him now admitting every supposition and reasoning after the truths or errors with which the human mind is penetrated or imbued what to shakespeare is a renown the fame of which can never ascend to him if a christian in the full enjoyment of the happiness of the eternal world would he be affected by the nothingness of the present if a deist disencumbered of the shades of matter and lost in the splendour of god would he humble himself to cast a glance upon the grain of sand whence he has passed if an atheist he sleeps the sleep without breathing or wakening which is called death nothing is more vain than glory beyond the tomb unless it has given life to friendship been useful to virtue lent seasonable aid to misfortune and it be granted to us in heaven to enjoy the consoling generous and merciful idea left by us on the earth End of chapter thirty